0: So I have a confession to make. I am not a music person. And I get a ton of flack for this, but I just it's not that I don't like music. I like music. I'm just not a music person. When I'm in my truck driving around, I usually listening to a podcast, uh, an audio book. Uh, every now and then I listen to music. I get my music fix uh, on Sunday mornings at church when we worship together. Uh, but one of my very unpopular opinions, because I'm not a music person, is that I just don't understand concerts. I think concerts are a waste of money. And I get it. Like You're probably, if you're a music person, like uh, anguished in your soul right now. What do you mean concerts are a waste of money? Concerts are awesome. And I, 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 I hear you. I really do. I can't say I get it, but I hear you. In my mind, I think that I can listen to the same guy and the same song at my house on Spotify. I don't need to go to a concert. And uh, th- this whole thing came to a head pretty recently. I had some friends that went to a concert, and uh, the tickets, let's just say, weren't cheap. They were concert tickets, you know. It wasn't like a 20 buck ticket. So they go, and I'm just telling them, say, look, it's a huge waste of money. You're spending this much money to go to the concert. I can turn on the Spotify station of this guy and listen to his music at the house. And this is where they said, they said, Chip, you just don't get it. When you're just listening to it at the house, you're just listening to the song. You're you're, you're consuming a product. But when you go to a concert, you get to participate in an experience. It's different when you're there with thousands of people singing these songs with this guy out loud. And so I was like, yeah, I mean, maybe. I don't know. I'm still not a concert guy. But I do think that there is a difference between consuming a product and participating in an experience. When they said that, that made sense to me. Because I think that in the church in America today, we're starting to feel this tension, right? Because whether you realize it or not, we've seen in our lifetime something that just a few years ago would have seemed unimaginable. What happened is that just a couple years ago, the church in America shut its doors. Like virtually every church in America and around the world shut its doors. Now you know, listening to me right now, that that was because of the COVID-19 pandemic. But think for a minute, if you were to rewind to 2018 and I told you there was going to be a moment, a month, whatever, where the church in America in unison shut its doors, what would you have believed? Would you believe that was possible? What caused it? But the truth is that it happened. Now, every church today pretty much has opened those doors back up. I'm personally not aware of any church in our area that is not holding services uh, anymore. Churches are open, but church attendance hasn't and may not ever get back to those pre-pandemic levels. Um, There's some research that was released uh, around this idea just a couple months ago, and this is what they found in 2019. 34% 34% of Americans said they attended church at least once or twice a month. In 2021, that number fell to 28%. In 2019, 50% of Americans said they seldom or never attended church. In 2019, that number rose to 50... I'm sorry, 2021, that number rose to 57%. So what that means is overall, church attendance is down by a conservative estimate of 30% across the board when comparing it to pre-pandemic levels. Let's make that more personable. Three out of 10 people who were attending church before COVID aren't attending church after COVID. Or to make it even more personal, it's almost one out of three families have stopped going to church. They just haven't come back. And that's a big problem. And, And it's not a big problem Just because there needs to be a lot of people in a room on Sunday. That's not the point. It's not because Sunday morning worship service attendance is the be-all, end-all of our faith. But it is important, it is a big deal, because gathering together is an essential part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We are the church, right? You've heard us say that. Not the building, not the place. We are the church. But... We can't be the church on our own. Matter of fact, the New Testament word for church that we get our word church from is a word ecclesia, and that word has at its heart, has at the definition of the word, uh, an idea of gathering of people. To be the church, look, we've got to be together. We have to gather, but gathering has to be more than just sitting in rows at a weekly event. And really, that's what we're going to talk about in this series. We're going to start today, next week and the next, and we're going to look at what did it look like when the New Testament church met to gather. If gathering is an essential part of who we are as believers in our faith journey, and it absolutely is, then what should it look like when we gather? Because I think all too often, when we think of gathering, we just think of coming to a Sunday morning worship service. And look, that's the start. But that's not all. What we're going to see over the next three weeks is that when we gather, we gather for growth, encouragement, and mission. And maybe you didn't think about that before when you would think about gathering. When you thought about gathering, you just thought about worship. But it's so much more than that. We're going to lean into that in this series. So what I'd invite you to do is take your Bible if you have it with you or if it's on an app you need to pull it up. We're going to go to Acts and we're going to look in the book of Acts today and kind of see firsthand what it looked like for that early church to gather When they gathered, what did that gathering look like? So we're going to start out in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. So if you got your Bibles, go with me there. We're going to start reading it together from 42 to the end of the chapter. This is what we read, Acts 2. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. So this is an incredibly insightful passage into the early church. And, and to understand uh, the context, let, let's kind of look at what has led us to this point, right? So this is after Jesus has been raised from the dead, spent 40 days with his disciples, gathered with them as he ascended into heaven, and then told them to wait. Because as they after they waited at forty more days, he was going to send the third person of the Trinity, his uh, Spirit, to come and indwell and empower them. And so those early disciples, maybe forty odd people, gather together and wait. And then on a day that the church uh, memorializes as Pentecost, you have the Holy Spirit of God come down in a rushing wind, in tongues of fire, fill the house where the believers were, and then they go from there out into the city of Jerusalem. And Peter, leading the charge, preaches a sermon, preaches the gospel, and 3,000 people get saved and are baptized, and then we read what that looked like from then on here in verses 42 to 47. So, the church has been born. The church was birthed by the power of the Spirit and the clear preaching of the gospel. That's the same today, right? We rely on the power of the Spirit and the preaching of the gospel. That's how the church was born. But I think it's funny to note that immediately they hit mega church status. Now, I know in our part of the world, or most of us are who are watching this, there's not many megachurches, right? A megachurch is defined as a church that has 2,000 or more people in their weekly services. Well, that ain't us. But it's crazy to think that those 40 people who gathered with Jesus as he ascended into heaven, who waited in the upper room, and and look, we don't know the exact number, but about that many people, that immediately it went from them to adding 3,000 plus people. Can you imagine how that changed everything that they thought church was in that moment? These original followers could have pushed the others away. They could have isolated new believers, but they didn't. They formed community. And more than that, we're going to see that they formed a family. Those 40 or so people, the new 3,000, they begin to gather. They gather together. And that's what we just read. At the end there of Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, we read what their gathering looked like. And there's just a couple of things. This isn't exhaustive, but a couple of things to notice about what their gathering looked like, what happened in those gatherings. It said there was time for teaching, right? There was time spent around the Word as they learned the Scriptures. Um, There was fellowship. And I would say that that fellowship is not what they gathered for. They didn't gather for a social hour. But as they gathered, gathered a byproduct of gathering worshiping and living together was this fellowship they celebrated communion Uh, when you read breaking bread maybe you think they ate a meal and surely they did but i think we can also uh hear that when they did that the the more clear implication is they had the lord's supper they took communion together remembering the sacrifice and the promise of their lord when they gathered they prayed and man, what a good reminder for us that that prayer is not just an individual thing. Prayer is not just something you do by yourself, but prayer was just as much a part of what they did together as what they did on their own. There was transformation. As the people gathered together, people were changed. They began to live and look differently and look more like Christ. That's why they were studying the scriptures is because they were trying to learn more about Jesus and how to live in obedience to him. I think another thing to note when they gathered that there was generosity and man what a great idea they were able to do more for each other and their communities together than they could on their own. And that's an amazing picture, right? That as they gathered together and shared their resources and wealth and abundance, they were able to take care of that family and everything that the family was doing. I think the biggest thing that we see there at the end of Acts chapter 2, verse 47, is that people were being saved. As they gathered, they experienced growth. Their gatherings were so attractive, and the gospel was so powerful that they couldn't help but grow as people came to know and trust Jesus as their Savior. So, all those things, and more. Matter of fact, you want something to do this afternoon? Get a notebook, get your Bibles, and you write what you see that gathering look like. There's a lot there. But here's the important thing. The important thing that I want you to notice is that what you just read in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, none of it, none of it happened in isolation. It happened as The church gathered. And then there's one more phrase in there that I think is important to show us what it looked like when the church gathered. It says that they gathered daily in the temple and from house to house. So you see that, right? They gathered in the temple publicly for the proclamation of the gospel and they gathered house to house privately to grow in their faith. So there was from the very beginning these two things and more than that it says that they met daily in the temple and house to house. Now, I think that's important because when you hear in the temple and house to house, and maybe you've heard it preached this way before, you kind of want to immediately lock in on Sunday morning worship services and midweek small groups. So I don't want you to immediately lock in on those two things. Don't, Don't miss the forest for the trees. Gathering is the biblical principle at play here gathering together with other believers. Worship services and small groups are what we think is the best model for gathering. That's why we do worship services the way we do. That's why we do small groups the way that we do. But the principle you need to take away from here is that from its birth, the church was constantly gathering in both public and private ways. What those worship services and groups look like, look, they can vary from context to context. In a world where we have ease of travel and there's a church nearby, we can have these multiple times a week. There are some countries in the world where they can't even have church once a week because they have to walk for hours and stay together for days before they go back home. So don't fall into the trap of saying, oh, they went to the temple Sunday and house to house on Wednesday. No, gathering is the principle worship services in small groups are the model, but part of the gathering was both public and private. And I think here, you know, it may be easy to say, well, you know, Chip, I know that that's what they did, but the world has changed. That, that was what they did, but surely they moved beyond it. That was probably a one-time thing that they met together so much. But see, it really wasn't. This wasn't a one-time thing. This wasn't an exception. If you look, you see this pattern of public and private temple and house-to-house gathering throughout the rest of the book of Acts. Let me me point you to a couple more places. Acts chapter 5, verse 42 says this, Every day in the temple and in various homes, they continued teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. So there it is again. Every day in the temple and in various homes or how about this acts 220 towards the end of the book you know this is paul talking to the ephesian elders you know that i did not hesitate to proclaim anything to you that was profitable and to teach you publicly and from house to house so what's interesting here is Paul is talking to leaders of a local church and saying, hey, look, this is how we did it. We met publicly and from house to house. But what's even more interesting to note is that Paul wasn't there in Acts chapter 2. So this is something that Paul learned and embraced because gathering is essential to our faith. The pattern that we see for gathering in the church in Acts is not an either-or situation. They weren't gathering in the temple or in the house. They weren't gathering in public or in private. They weren't debating big church versus house church. The church in Acts was a both-and church. They met publicly in the temple and privately from house to house. And here's where I kind of want to start zooming in for today. Yes, we need to gather together to worship Jesus and to hear His Word as a faith family and to, as that family, gather around His table and take the cup and take the bread to remember His death and the promise of His soon coming again. But we need more than that as we gather. See, It shouldn't shock many of us that so many people have so easily left church and not returned when the church that they left looks more like an event than the model that we see in the book of Acts. And really, when you see the gathering of the church simply as an event, it is easy to pick and choose, right? But we have to understand that when we gather, it's not just an event on the calendar, it's who we are as a people. We have to move beyond seeing our gatherings as one hour of worship a week and begin to see the essential nature of gathering in every part of our faith journey as we follow Jesus. And what I want you to see specifically today from the book of Acts is that yes, we do need to gather publicly for worship, but I think that's a given but just as important, we need to gather privately in circles for growth. Now, this is huge. When we gather to worship, we normally sit in rows, right? Whether you go to a traditional church in the country, a contemporary church in the city, when you come in that church, you're usually going to be sitting in rows, staring at the stage, and all you see of the other people is the back of their heads or maybe shake their hand out the doors. Yes, we need to gather for worship. That's not debatable. It's clear in Scripture. But what I want to push on today, specifically, is that it's not enough. It's not enough. It's not enough that we gather for worship. We need to gather in circles privately, as Acts says, from house to house for growth. So let me ask you, what what do I mean growth? Why, Why is it important? For us to gather in circles. If I'm asking you to gather with believers outside of worship in a group circle type setting, why is it important? Number one, it's important because in small groups, right, in circles, in small groups, we grow in our relationship with each other. Like, I think it's important for us to remember that those new believers in the book of Acts didn't just become members of the same local church. They became a family of faith. They became a community within a community. And it's not in our worship services that you build those relationships. Those relationships are built in smaller groups. Why? Because you can't grow in a relationship without spending time together. Not just beside each other, but time together. You can't, you can't know somebody, you don't build a relationship with somebody just by staring at the back of their heads. But when you gather in circles and you gather in groups, you can begin to share the burdens of each other, right? It said that they sold their property and met needs as any had need. Well, how did they know they had need? Because they were spending time together. They shared their burdens. These circles, these small groups, allow you to know each other and maybe more importantly, to be known by others. Here's the truth. You can fake it once a week and get lost in a big crowd. It's a whole lot harder to fake it consistently over time in somebody's house in a small group we need each other. We need to spend time with each other and small groups help us grow in relationship with each other. But I think even more importantly than that, small groups help us grow in our relationship with Jesus. And this is what the the part that I think we miss. Like everybody's probably all excited, yeah man, I want the community. I want to know, I want to be known. I want to share my burdens. You get that? But usually that won't is not enough to push you toward actually making a time commitment to a small group to join a circle. But what I would say is it's not just that you should want that type of community, but you need that type of community, or else you will be stuck in your spiritual growth. We need small groups to help us grow in our faith. Why? Because at the very least, It gives us a dedicated time to be in the Word and to study the Word together. Now, that's huge, right? But I'm going to press further because you may be saying, well, Chip, I can study the Bible at the house by myself. You're 100% right, you can. But here's what happens when you study the Bible in a group setting, in a circle. It provides a real-life context for what you're studying. Now, I'm just going to be frank with you. Many of us know people who are exceptionally knowledgeable about Scripture, but are absolute jerks. Look, that that shouldn't be. Knowing more of the Bible should make us less of a jerk. It should make us more grace-filled, more humble, more loving. Knowing Jesus' word should make us look more like Jesus, but sometimes it doesn't. Why? Because knowledge for knowledge's sake, the scripture says, puffs up. And studying the scripture in a group setting can provide a real-life context that keeps that from happening. Let me read you a quote uh, by a guy named Rich Volotus. This is what he said. Christians can read the Bible every day and still have our hearts firmly against the ways of the kingdom of God. Unless we read Scripture through the lens of the crucified Christ with others, our exegesis, or maybe you'd say our interpretation, is dangerously subject to personal preferences and political allegiances. Now that is a big statement, but man is he spot on. What he's saying is, is that when we read and study the Bible into isolation, we will read our preferences, our desires, our understanding into the text instead of letting the text read us. And that's why doing this in a group is so important because, here's the thing, understand it this way, other people see your blind spots. By definition, you can't see your blind spots. You can't see where you're not looking at the Scripture clearly. You can't see where you're not being objective. You can't see where your own personal preferences are getting in the way of truly understanding what the Word is saying. Others can help you do that. We need other people to really grow in our relationship with Jesus. And I think, at its core, gathering in groups really helps make the New Testament relevant to your life. Now that, <laughs> that's a big statement, right? You say, Chip, the New Testament is relevant. Yeah, maybe. But how many of us study the Bible just so that we know more about it, not so that we can learn how to live it out in our everyday walk? See, that's the point. When we are in a group, when we're in community, when we're with others it makes the New Testament relevant to our lives again. When it says, husbands love your wives, you're not trying to exegete what husband, love, or wife means. It means that, man, my marriage is hurting, so I need to walk through this. Matter of fact, what I need you to see is that Jesus designed us as the church to be on mission together, to live the Christian life with other people. And we're going to lean more into that the next couple of weeks. But what I want you to get is this, and we're winding it down, is that it's important for us to see that we cannot be fully obedient to the teachings of Scripture without gathering with one another. And I don't just mean like you're disobedient to the part that says gather with one another. Yes, that is in there. But... We can't be obedient to much of Scripture when we're not gathering with one another. In fact, the New Testament uses the phrase one another just about a hundred times. In 27 books, it's used about a hundred times. And 47 of those times that the phrase one another is used, 47 times, it's a direct command to the followers of Jesus. You are to do this to one another, love one another, encourage one another, Uh, bear one another's burdens. These are things you cannot do unless you gather. This really goes back to what I was talking about at the beginning, I think. So, we said this, right? That there's there's a difference between listening to a song on Spotify and going to a concert. I get it. But... What if I told you there's an even bigger difference in going to the concert and getting to be a part of the band? See, here's the thing. Jesus hasn't invited you to the concert. Jesus has invited you to be a part of the band and gathering together in groups to grow, to encourage one another, to live on mission is how we do that. Join the band. Don't just go to the concert. Get involved. Make this a real part of your life. Because listen to me, if you aren't gathering, you're probably not growing. And I know that is hard to hear. And maybe you are watching this uh, online right now because you just haven't made time to come back to church. Like you, you keep meaning to, you haven't done it. Let me encourage you, come back. Maybe you're watching it right now because there's some other issues going on in your life health-wise and you just can't be out. I get that. That's understandable. But what I hope that you've heard today is not me telling you, you've got to be back in the building, you've got to be back in the building. Do I think you should be back in the building. Is it better? Yeah, I do. I think that if you have a choice, this uh, being together is the choice to make. But more than any of that, what I want you to hear is my heart. It's that gathering is essential To our faith. And if you can't gather with a few hundred of us on Sunday morning. That's fine. But make it a priority to still gather. Gather with that group of believers. So that you can study God's word. So that you can pray. Gather with others so that you can grow. Because if you're living the Christian life on your own. You probably aren't living it successfully. Unless you're gathering. You're probably not growing. So take the time. Make the effort to gather. Let me pray for you. God, thank you for the time to spend this morning with one another as we talk through this and really look at the model for what it means to be and gather as a New Testament church. God, and I pray for my friends who are sorting through that. God, what it means to gather and worship, but beyond that, what it means to gather in groups. God, and I pray that you would uh, put a burden and a willingness on the hearts of the people to find that circle to gather with so that they can grow in their faith, so that they can grow with each other and grow to look more like Jesus. God, I pray that you would help us live this out for our own good and for the glory of your name. It's in that name, the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.